Hello, this is Sarah Pearson, Features Editor at the Concord Monitor. I'm here with Granite Geek David Brooks to learn more about a topic he covered in the paper this week. Hello, this is David. The Sewell's Falls area of Concord, New Hampshire is popular today for its wooded trails, boat launch, and access to beaches. But that wasn't the case 120 years ago. Dave looked into the early days and history of the Sewell's Falls hydroelectric facility. Can you explain why the dam and powerhouse were built? Sure. Um, well, as you say, it's it's a popular recreation area now. It's real close to the Monitor building. A lot of people know about it probably because of the Sewell's Falls uh, bridge that was replaced a year or two ago here at the north end of Concord. But um, there is a nice refurbished boat launch there, and uh, it's trails that wander down. And if you wander down uh, on the, the west side of the river, you will eventually come to some old kind of dilapidated industrial looking buildings and some equipment. They're, they're behind fences now because the state actually uses it uh, to store uh, to store stuff there. And some sort of walls and a weird looking kind of ditch, a huge ditch. It uh, doesn't really make much sense. So I was just kind of curious about what it was. Unfortunately, there's a, um, an industrial archaeologist, his name is Dennis Howe, who has been studying uh, the Sewell's Falls area for a, a couple of decades on and off, actually. He just published a couple of uh, big articles about it in the, uh, the uh, New Hampshire Archaeologist, which is the magazine of the Archaeological Society. And so I saw this and said, aha, well, this is interesting, and now I can uh, sort of you know piggyback on his work to, uh, to say what's going on. So, so go back real quickly. So the, the, the river, as we all know, the Merrimack River has, uh, you know, it starts in New Hampshire and flows down into Massachusetts. And it has periodically along it rapids. We call them waterfalls, but they're really rapids. Mm -hmm. And a lot of them have been used uh, back in the 19th century, were used to build the dam. It's a, it, you've, got a, you've got a rapid there frequently. It's a, already a place where it's easy to establish a dam across the river. And uh, Lowell is the classic example of this. Lowell, Massachusetts, mm -hmm. is they built a dam and could use the water power to turn a wheel, and that wheel could use belts to turn machinery, and then you got industrial looms and basically the Industrial Revolution. And so the Merrimack River was an important part of that. Uh, and Sewell's Falls uh, is one of the very last places uh, that was actually, uh, you, that was built, that was built up this way. It wasn't even until uh, uh, 1871 that the state uh, gave a license to develop it, and that was three decades after the Amiskeg Falls down in Manchester had been built and was working. So that was long established before they even thought about trying to do something with Sewell's Falls. It was just about the last falls on the river that could be industrially developed. So, so how was the facility built? Well, that's, that's, that's the interesting part. So the, the question was, what are you going to do? you got this rapid, what are you going to do with it? You, you want to put a dam behind it so that the, you want to put a dam across it so that the water behind the dam rises up higher, and therefore when it falls over the dam, it's got more power in it, and you can draw more power from it. So that's the whole point of a dam, is to, to raise the level behind it to increase the, the height of the fall. So um, there was much debate about exactly how to do it. It ended up being what was known as a timber crib dam, which is basically a bunch of uh, logs that are sort of laid down in crisscross pattern with stone and other debris under them. 
And in fact, this ended up being the longest or widest, depending on how you define it, uh, timber crib dam ever built, um, which is kind of cool, but is also an indication of perhaps it shouldn't have been a timber crib dam, because about the time it was being built, um, which was 1890s, early 1890s, it was opened in 1894. By that, by that time, the technology was moving on, frankly, and, and stone and even concrete dams were starting to become more of the thing. And so the timber crib structure with all the wood in it actually proved to be a problem over the years and made it maintenance costs very high. But it's, it was the biggest one ever built. Went all the way across the river, and then the question was, what are you going to do with the power? And uh, this is where a man uh, well known to Concord history named George Page enters. Mm -hmm. uh, and uh, the people will know him still from the Page Belting Company, which was one of the couple of industries that really built the city back in the 1900s. Um, belting as in those big leather belts that were used to power machinery. So you, your water wheel, water wheel would be turning, you need to get the power from that water wheel over to the loom. And so you do that with belts. And you can see, again, you go to Lowell, the, the, uh, the uh, National Park Museum there. Lowell is great. It shows that stuff. So Paige said, hey, here, here's, this is Concord. I can, you know, get energy from this dam and I can do stuff with it. So he was the main uh, investor and guy who got started. So what sort of electricity did the Sewell's Falls Dam and powerhouse produced? Well, I was, that was also, and, and this is where Dennis Howe's articles are, are really quite interesting. He really went in and looked into this. So at the 1890s, it was early days of industrial electricity. It had only been around for maybe a decade. Um, and in fact, George Page initially was assuming that he was going to use uh, the Sewell's Falls dams for belt power as, he, as had been done further, further south. Um, but again, the technology moved on, but it was not at all clear what kind of electricity you wanted. So uh, the, the big fight, you may have heard about it if you've read any uh, history of technology, was be between Thomas Edison and uh, Nikola Tesla as to what kind of electricity you were going to have. Now, Edison wanted uh, direct current, which is kind of what comes out of a battery, just the, the flow of electrons. Um, that's, that's what he developed initially, and that's what he was pushing. Uh, it can be done with a lower voltage, but it doesn't travel very far, so you need a lot more power plants. Tesla said, no, you should have alternating current, which the electrons sort of dance back and forth, and it, the voltage has to be higher, but it can travel a lot further as a result. And, and Tesla's AC won out eventually um, because you did not need to build so many power plants. I mean, if, if Edison had had his way, there'd be you know a little, little tiny coal power power plants every 15, 20 miles, maybe even closer than that. Huh. And so the question was, is this going to be DC or AC? And, and they, they finally went with AC uh, at, at Sewell's Falls. And in fact, they not only went with AC, but they went with uh, polyphase, three-phase AC, which was really new at the time, uh, which is basically a way of using one extra wire. Instead of having two, you, you know, usually you need a current, you need one to take it out, one to take it back, roughly. Uh, if you had a third third wire, you can double the amount of power you get across. Um, and that was just being developed, and they decided to go here, go with it here. And, and depending on how you define it, and uh, Dennis Howe has done quite a lot of work into this, he argues that this is 
probably the second, and within certain definitions, it's even the first, the use of a polyphase commercial AC current in the country. Wow. So why isn't it active anymore? Mostly money, of course. So why isn't anything active anymore from back then? I mean, you know, technology passed it up, but, but, but money was really the big problem. So it, it, it got turned on. Um, they were providing electricity. The, by the time it got turned on, the, the big uh, commercial market for electricity was lighting. That was fairly new. Mm-hmm. Uh, Congress said, yes, we want electric lights, want to get away from these old-timey gas lights, so give us some power. And so the initial idea that he would be doing it for for building companies real close to the river that he could use the power for, that actually didn't, not much came of that. There was like, Howe has been able to find really only one company uh, that actually made poison to get rid of animals that, uh, burrowing animals, because those were very bad when you had farm animals. When you had horses, uh, you know, pulling your plow in the field, you do not want your horse to step into a hole and break his ankle. So um, there was one company called Taylor, a chemical company, that set up a plant, and there's still some remnants of it in the woods. If you know where to look, you sort of wander around. There's no path there, but uh, you can find some very odd-looking stuff, including a uh, uh, kind of an old furnace. So that was the one company that was built there next to the site. But mostly what it was, he ran the lines in the Concord to, to do the lighting. That was the big thing. Um, and that was, that, was the, that was the market. That was the business plan, uh, is you, you sell your, your power. Um, it was established by the Concord Electric Company, which like many, many places, Concord kind of had its old small electric company for a long time. Uh, until they were all kind of joined together. It's now part of Unitel. And uh, just, it could not provide electricity. At at the rates that that regulated electricity was paid, it just couldn't make enough money over time. And largely this was due to maintenance issues. So, um, not largely, but partly due to maintenance issues. The maintenance issues on that wooden dam. And uh, there was also some maintenance issues with the power canal. And... um, so you actually asked about how it was built, and I, and I should have gone into it then, because one of the interesting things that Dennis Howe would like to find out more about is how the power canal was built. So the power canal was a canal built that went around the rapids, and the water was diverted into it, and that's really what went through, and, and you could control it better, and that's, that's what uh, drove the machinery. So the power canal was built, uh, some, let's see, it was about... Early 1890s, and really the only evidence he's been able to find, Dennis Howe's been able to find from uh, an August 1892 article in the Concord Evening Monitor. Yes, we were, we were a PM publication back then, uh, which ran a story about the digging of the canal. It was dug by hand, uh, and 50,000 cubic yards of soil was dug by oh boy. yeah, oh boy indeed, <laughs> <laughs> dug by shovels and moved out by wheelbarrows, and it was done largely, if not entirely, by Italian laborers, and apparently this was what was done at the time, is uh, fairly large numbers of uh, Italians be brought over, usually from southern Italy, uh, poorer part of the country, and they would work in teams, and they would work under uh, Italian bosses, uh, known as padrones, um, who were um, not always the nicest people. So the, the quote from the uh, Concord Evening Monitor is, the Italians work with shovels and wheelbarrows, digging up and removing the sand from the canal. Over them is a foreman who comes as near being a slave driver, perhaps, as we ever see in this section of the country. Now, was, um, Dennis Howe's written about how there was a lot of controversy about the whole Padron system uh, down in Boston. There were, there were um, public hearings and, and concerned about that it was 
gross mistreatment. And he'd like to find out more, actually, because it, so there were, there were must have been, I don't know, 100 or more of these Italian laborers here for many months, years, I don't know, to dig this canal. They must have lived somewhere. He thinks they had a, a camp um, uh, somewhere along uh, Beaver Meadow Brook, which is, if you know, if you know the site uh, where 2nd Street comes down, it comes down right next to this little sort of brooky area next to it. He thinks that's probably where it is, but there has never been any archaeological work there. He'd like to he'd like to dig it up and find out. But these guys dug this huge canal. It's really very large for the for the size of this dam. It was so large that it actually could be used as a reservoir. You could store water in it so you could release that water when it was in drier periods and keep the electricity flowing. But, but that was part of the construction. But, but unfortunately, uh, over time, they had, when they built the canal, they lined it also with wood. And that proved to be a maintenance issue over time as well. So that contributed to the collapse. So by the 1960s, basically, it was no longer made sense to operate it as a dam. And so it was, it was shut down. And there were some plans over the years to restart it. Uh, one of Nelson Rockefeller's sons, actually, in the 80s, had the plan to, to build a new hydropower dam on it that got uh, uh, basically environmental concerns. Um, got in the way, and then there was a flood that busted the dam, and they figured, forget it, it's not worth it anymore, and they basically tore it out, and the state bought the land. Uh, Fish and Game actually owns it now, and uh, and it turned it into a recreation area, which is which is what it still is, with some really, it's a couple of nice beaches there, uh, some nice uh, nice trails, as well as the boat ramp. It's great. So. All right. Well, thank you, Dave, for sharing some information on it. Um, if you want to learn more about the Sewell's Falls hydropower plant, uh, you can read Dave's articles online at ConcordMonitor.com. Thanks for having me. Today's theme music is Little Smartphone People by Spidekicks.